0: part one chapter four of twenty thousand leagues under the sea an underwater tour of the world by jules verne this librivox recording is in the public domain read by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana chapter four ned land commander farragut was a good seaman worthy of the frigate he commanded his ship and he were one he was its very soul on the cetacean question no doubts arose in his mind and he did not allow the animal's existence to be disputed aboard his vessel he believed in it as certain pious women believe in the leviathan from the book of job out of faith not reason the monster existed and he had vowed to rid the seas of it the man was a sort of knight of rhodes a latter-day sir judan of gonzo on his way to fight an encounter with the dragon devastating the island either commander farragut would slay the narwhal or the narwhal would slay commander farragut no middle of the road for these two the ship's officers shared the views of their leader they could be heard chatting discussing arguing calculating the different chances of an encounter and observing the vast expanse of the ocean voluntary watches from the cross-trees of the top gallant sail were self-imposed by more than one who would have cursed such toil under any other circumstances as often as the sun swept over its daily arc the masts were populated with sailors whose feet itched and couldn't hold still on the planking of the deck below and the abraham lincoln's stem-post hadn't even cut the suspected waters of the pacific as for the crew they only wanted to encounter the unicorn harpoon it haul it on board and carve it up they surveyed the sea with scrupulous care besides commander farragut had mentioned that a certain sum of two thousand dollars was waiting for the man who first sighted the animal be he cabin-boy or sailor mate or officer i'll let the reader decide whether eyes got proper exercise aboard the abraham lincoln as for me i didn't lag behind the others and i yielded to no one my share in these daily observations our frigate would have had five score good reasons for renaming itself the argus after that mythological beast with one hundred eyes the lone rebel among us was Conseil, who seemed utterly uninterested in the question exciting us and was out of step with the general enthusiasm on board as i said commander farragut had carefully equipped his ship with all the gear needed to fish for the gigantic cetacean no whaling vessel could have been better armed we had every known mechanism from the hand hurled harpoon to the blunderbuss firing barbed arrows to the duck gun with exploding bullets on the forecastle was mounted the latest model breech-loading cannon, very heavy of barrel and narrow of bore, a weapon that would figure in the Universal Exhibition of eighteen sixty seven. Made in America, this valuable instrument could fire a four kilogram conical projectile an average distance of sixteen kilometers without the least bother. So the Abraham Lincoln wasn't lacking in means of destruction, but it had better still it had ned land the king of harpooners gifted with uncommon manual ability ned land was a canadian who had no equal in his dangerous trade dexterity coolness bravery and cunning were virtues he possessed to a high degree and it took a truly crafty baleen whale or an exceptionally astute sperm whale to elude the thrusts of his harpoon ned land was about 40 years old a man of great height over six english feet he was powerfully built serious in manner not very sociable sometimes headstrong and quite ill-tempered when crossed his looks caught the attention and above all the strength of his gaze which gave a unique emphasis to his facial appearance commander farragut to my thinking had made a wise move in hiring on this man with his eye and his throwing arm he was worth the whole crew all by himself I can do no better than to compare him with a powerful telescope that could double as a cannon always ready to fire. To say Canadian is to say French, and as unsociable as Ned Land was, I must admit he took a definite liking to me. No doubt it was my nationality that attracted him. It was an opportunity for him to speak and for me to hear that old Rabelaisian dialect still used in some Canadian provinces the harpooners family originated in quebec and they were already a line of bold fishermen back in the days when this town still belonged to france little by little ned developed a taste for chatting and i loved hearing the tales of his adventures in the polar seas He described his fishing trips and his battles with great natural lyricism his tales took on the form of an epic poem and i felt i was hearing some canadian homer reciting his iliad of the high arctic regions i'm writing of this bold companion as i currently know him because we've become old friends united in that permanent comradeship born and cemented during only the most frightful crises ah my gallant ned I ask only to live one hundred years more, the longer to remember you. And now, what were Ned Land's views on this question of the marine monster? I must admit that he flatly didn't believe in the unicorn, and alone on board he didn't share the general conviction. He avoided even dealing with the subject, for which one day I felt compelled to take him to task. During the magnificent evening of June 25th, In other words, three weeks after our departure, the frigate lay abreast of Cabo Blanco, 30 miles to leeward of the coast of Patagonia. We had crossed the Tropic of Capricorn, and the Strait of Magellan opened less than 700 miles to the south. Before eight days were out, the Abraham Lincoln would plow the waves of the Pacific seated on the after-deck ned land and i chatted about one thing and another staring at that mysterious sea whose depths to this day are beyond the reach of human eyes quite naturally i led our conversation around to the giant unicorn and i weighed our expedition's various chances for success or failure then seeing that ned just let me talk without saying much himself i pressed him more closely ned i asked him how can you still doubt the reality of this cetacean we're after do you have any particular reasons for being so sceptical the harpooner stared at me a while before replying slapped his broad forehead in one of his standard gestures closed his eyes as if to collect himself and finally said just maybe professor Aronnax, but ned you're a professional whaler a man familiar with all the great marine mammals your mind should easily accept this hypothesis of an enormous cetacean and you ought to be the last one to doubt it under these circumstances that's just where you're mistaken professor ned land replied the common man may still believe in fabulous comets crossing outer space or in prehistoric monsters living at the earth's core but astronomers and geologists don't swallow such fairy tales it's the same with whalers i've chased plenty of cetaceans i've harpooned a good number i've killed several but no matter how powerful and well-armed they were neither their tails or their tusks could puncture the sheet-iron plates of a steamer even so ned people mention vessels that narwhal tusks have run clean through wooden ships maybe the canadian replied but i've never seen the like so till I have proof to the contrary, I'll deny that baleen whales, sperm whales, or unicorns can do any such thing. Listen to me, Ned. No, no, Professor. I'll go along with anything you want, except that. Some gigantic devilfish, maybe. Even less likely, Ned. The devilfish is merely a mollusk, and even this name hints at its semi-liquid flesh, because it's Latin meaning soft one the devilfish doesn't belong to the vertebrate branch and even if it were five hundred feet long it would still be utterly harmless to ships like the scotia or the abraham lincoln consequently the feats of krakens or other monsters of that ilk must be relegated to the realm of fiction so mr naturalist ned land continued in a bantering tone you'll just keep on believing in the existence of some enormous cetacean yes ned i repeat it with a conviction backed by factual logic i believe in the existence of a mammal with a powerful constitution belonging to the vertebrate branch like baleen whales sperm whales or dolphins and armed with a tusk made of horn that has tremendous penetrating power huh the harpooner put in shaking his head with an attitude of a man who doesn't want to be convinced note well my fine canadian i went on if such an animal exists if it lives deep in the ocean if it frequents the liquid strata located miles beneath the surface of the water it needs to have a constitution so solid it defies all comparison and why this powerful constitution ned asked because it takes incalculable strength just to live in those deep strata and withstand their pressure oh really ned said tipping me a wink oh really and i can prove it to you with a few simple figures bosh ned replied you can make figures do anything you want in business ned but not in mathematics listen to me let's accept that the pressure of one atmosphere is represented by the pressure of a column of water thirty-two feet high In reality, such a column of water wouldn't be quite so high, because here we're dealing with salt water, which is denser than fresh water. Well then, when you dive under the waves, Ned, for every 32 feet of water above you, your body is tolerating the pressure of one more atmosphere – in other words, one more kilogram per each square centimeter on your body's surface. So, it follows that at 320 feet down, this pressure is equal to 10 atmospheres, to 100 atmospheres at 3,200 feet, and to 1,000 atmospheres at 32,000 feet, that is, at about 2.5 vertical leagues down. Which is tantamount to saying that if you could reach such a depth in the ocean, each square centimeter on your body's surface would be experiencing 1,000 kilograms of pressure now my gallant ned do you know how many square centimeters you have on your bodily surface i haven't the foggiest notion professor aranax about seventeen thousand as many as that Yes, and since the atmosphere's pressure actually weighs slightly more than one kilogram per square centimeter, your 17,000 square centimeters are tolerating 17,568 kilograms at this very moment. Without my noticing it? Without you noticing it. And if you aren't crushed by so much pressure, it's because the air penetrates the interior of your body with equal pressure when the inside and outside pressures are in perfect balance they neutralize each other and allow you to tolerate them without discomfort but in the water it's another story yes i see ned replied growing more interested because the water surrounds me but doesn't penetrate me precisely ned so at thirty-two feet beneath the surface of the sea you'll undergo a pressure of seventeen thousand five hundred and sixty eight kilograms At 320 feet, or 10 times greater pressure, it's 175,680 kilograms. At 3,200 feet, or 100 times greater pressure, it's 1,756,800 kilograms. Finally, at 32,000 feet, or 1,000 times greater pressure, it's 17,000,000 five hundred and sixty-eight thousand kilograms in other words you'd be squashed as flat as if you'd just been yanked from between the plates of a hydraulic press fire and brimstone ned put in all right then my fine harpooner if vertebrates several hundred meters long and proportionate in bulk live at such depths their surface areas make up millions of square centimeters and the pressure they undergo must be assessed in billions of kilograms calculate then how much resistance of bone structure and strength of constitution they'd need in order to withstand such pressures they'd need to be manufactured ned land replied from sheet iron plates eight inches thick like ironclad frigates Right, ned and then picture the damage such a mass could inflict if it were launched with the speed of an express train against a ship's hull yes indeed maybe the canadian replied staggered by these figures but still not willing to give in well have i convinced you you convinced me of one thing mr naturalist that deep in the sea such animals would need to be just as strong as you say if they exist but if they don't exist my stubborn harpooner how do you explain the accident that happens to the scotia it's maybe ned said hesitating go on because it just couldn't be true the canadian replied unconsciously echoing a famous catchphrase of the scientist arago but this reply proved nothing other than how bullheaded the harpooner could be that day i pressed him no further the scotia's accident was undeniable its hole was real enough that it had to be plugged up and i don't think a hole's existence can be more emphatically proven now then this hole did not make itself and since it hadn't resulted from underwater rocks or underwater machines, it must have been caused by the perforating tool of some animal. Now, for all the reasons put forward to this point, I believed that this animal was a member of the branch vertebrata, class Mammalia, group Pisciforma, and finally, order Cetacea. As for the family in which it would be placed, baleen whale sperm whale or dolphin the genus to which it belonged and the species in which it would find its proper home these questions had to be left for later to answer them called for dissecting this unknown monster to dissect it called for catching it to catch it called for harpooning it which was ned land's business to harpoon it called for sighting it which was the crew's business and to sight it called for encountering it which was a chancy business, End of Part One, Chapter Four.